Good morning, everybody. Eric Lofholm here. Thrilled to be with you on this beautiful Tuesday morning. And I have a very special guest on our daily motivational call. And we're going to go a little bit longer than, than we normally do because of my special guest. And I'm joined today by Ben Gay. And I've known Ben, we were just reminiscing that we've known each other since around the mid-90s. And uh, we've been teaming up doing joint events like this since uh, 2002. We've done many, many events together. Ben is one of the the living legends in sales training, one of the top sales trainers in the history of the world. And the reason I asked Ben to join us today is he is the only person that I know living today that personally knew Napoleon Hill. And uh, we just finished up uh, a month of training teaching Hill's principles. And uh, anytime I do that, I always ask Ben if he's able to come and share with us what what was Napoleon Hill like and uh, share some of the stories that Ben has with Napoleon Hill. And so, Ben, I want to thank you for being a mentor of mine. And thank you for, you know, I mean, pretty much anytime I've ever asked you for anything, you've always said yes. And I've really needed your help at some low points in my life when you've mentored me and been, um, you know, really like a father to me at times. And I greatly appreciate you and and what you've done for me. And I know you've done it for millions of people all over the world and how you've helped them. So uh, why don't we um, start off with anything that you'd like to share a little bit about yourself, and then we can jump in and talk about Napoleon Hill. Well, first of all, thank you for that gracious introduction. I always love hearing about me. Uh, so if you want to go on and add things, <laughs> you didn't mention handsome, by the way. Uh, the uh, uh, It's always a joy. This is what I do. Somebody asked me the other day if I had a hobby. And I said, yeah, it's called what I do. Uh, I have a hobby in that I love to meet people, talk to people, learn new things, and you have mentored me probably without knowing it more than you know, because uh, I learn from everybody and I study people, especially as they start to rise. And I've had, uh, you've come a long way since we met in the pizza parlor in cool, I think it was cool, California, somewhere yep. over that way, uh, come a long way. And I've dipped in and out of this series uh, a few times without saying or doing anything, but just dipped in to watch you work. And uh, I think Dr. Hill would be honored. He told me uh, many times that he, he was sure that he and his work would soon be forgotten, mm. which is historically accurate. I mean, that happens to most people unless they've done something terribly profound. And in some ways, I've, with the younger people, you have to spend a little time telling them who he was. But in some ways, Dr. Hill is better known today, thanks to a few loyal followers like you and me and so on, and social media. He's better known today than he was then. And when he told me his work, he and his work would soon be forgotten, that was in uh, between 67 and 70. I met him in 67 and we worked together the last two and a half years of his life. So um, that's been a while. It was uh, 30, 40, 50, 53 years ago. He thought it was pretty much over for him. Yeah. And it had been once, uh, Think and Grow Rich and the Law of Success never really had a run. It came out at exactly the wrong time, a thick volume volume 
for its day priced uh, high and in the middle of the depression. So uh, it didn't have a good run. And it was too, he, Dr. Hill believed that he and a friend of his were the only two people who ever read it cover to cover, no matter what anybody said. <laughs> he thought there were two people on earth. He, because he had to, to write it and a friend because he had to proof it. But uh, Think and Grow Rich had had its run. And that small world, this is uh, sort of getting into the, probably what you want to talk about with Dr. Hill, but small world. I bought a company after I left the big cosmetic company I was running. I bought a company called the Personnel Institute, which sold a program for self-development and so on. Uh, founded and run by a, an older gentleman to me at the time, an older gentleman named Morris Pickus. And Morris knew of my history at Holiday Magic Cosmetics. He knew of me working with Dr. Hill and so on. He said, you know, I caused all that. And I said, uh, since I'd never met him before, I mean, this was one or two sessions deep into buying his company and letting him retire. Uh, I said, well, how's that work? He said, well, back in the day, when you called on a business associate, a prospect, you would bring a gift. He was talking like a hostess gift. And he said, I went to see Clem Stone. He called him Clem, Clem Stone, W. Clement Stone, one day to sell him my program as a business consultant. And it dawned on me somewhere along the way getting there that I didn't have a gift for him. So I went in a bookstore or bookshop or whatever and picked up a copy of Think and Grow Rich. Wow. And uh, to bring to him, uh, he said he said he'd read it and he knew it was a popular book, but it has its day. He said, I was glad I was able to find one. So he took a copy of Think and Grow Rich and pre presented it to W. Clement Stone. W. Clement Stone loved it. I mean, really, really loved it and demanded that everybody at Combined Insurance, the janitor to the 100,000 or whatever it was, salespeople he had, everybody read Think and Grow Rich. And they said it was a good idea to do it because Clem would ask you things. And within a question or two, if he bumped into you in the hallway, within a question or two, he knew whether you'd read the book or not. Yeah, and that, that could have a real effect on your career <laughs> if you hadn't. Mm -hmm. So Morris gave Clem the book, Clem loved it, insisted everybody read it and turned it, therefore brought it back to life and uh, Napoleon Hill, uh, it, everybody being kind likes to say Napoleon Hill had retired. Well, he didn't retire. It's like an actor once told me, he said, you don't retire from acting. The phone quits ringing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, the phone had quit ringing for Dr. Hill until Morris Pickus handed Clem Stone that book, brought him back to life. Stone actually managed uh, in sort of a loose partnership, Dr. Hill for a couple, three years. And uh, they both were sort of cranky, interesting people. So Clem was telling me, Dr. Stone, uh, Dr. Hill never told me, but Clem told me one day, he said, it, it really wasn't a good match. There were two people button heads who each thought yeah. they had the secrets of the universe. So, uh, but it, that was the turning point for him, bringing him back. So I've been, and the day I joined uh, Holiday Magic Cosmetics, my sponsor said, you're a young man. I think I was 23 or something. 
He said, uh, you're a young man, you're going to need to grow up quick. So he handed me an old, his personal old beat up copy of Think and Grow Rich. And uh, the, uh, I still have it here, always within reach, a, record, a record, Earl Nightingale's The Strangest Secret. Yeah. And he said, go home and listen to that and start reading the book. Uh, and I did. And Dr. Stone, Dr. Hill and, and uh, Earl Nightingale were sitting at the house one day a couple of years later, and I told them the story. They said, well, did it help? And I said, well, I guess so. I was 23. Now I'm 25. I'm president of the company, and both of you work for me. So, yes, <laughs> it helped. That's pretty young to... Uh... To be running a company. Yeah, I was too young, but I, I did a good job because I'm a pretty good tap dancer. I, I <laughs> shucked and jived, as as we used to say in the South. I shucked and jived my way through it. I won a. I didn't qualify by filling out a form and being interviewed. I won a sales contest, and the mystery prize turned out to be president uh, presidency of the company. Zig got the better deal. Zig came in second on a Rolls Royce. And many, many times I thought second place was better than first place. Right. You got this job and he got the beautiful car. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, how old was, was, was Zig at that time? Approximately. Well, Zig was 18. Uh, I was 23 the day we met because he and I answered the same ad in the Atlanta journal constitution. He'd not yet had a big hit. Uh, he was a successful cookware salesman, but so are hundred thousand other people. And uh, he was 18 years older than I was. He was in the Navy the day I was born. And uh, so, and by the way, just to bring it up, because I'm so proud of it, December 7th, 1941, my father said two horrible things happened in the United States. The Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, and I was conceived. Mm. My, my father was in the Navy, and they called him back to base when Pearl Harbor was hit. And my, he and my mother had one last encounter, figuring they may never see each other again. So I was conceived that day. And Earl uh, was on the USS Arizona up in the, uh, in the Marine Corps, one of 19 Marines on the Arizona when it was blown out from under him. And had it not listed to the side, which enabled him to drop from up high on the ship into the water, uh, we wouldn't be talking about Earl Nightingale today. Wow. And that was the incident you're describing was before he created The Strangest Secret. Is that right? Yeah, he wrote and rec recorded The Strangest Secret in 1956. And to show you how little things can happen, the reason he did it, he was running an insurance agency and he always did sales meetings. And he was also on radio, WGN, the big gun out of Chicago. Uh, so he had access to recording equipment. He wrote The Strangest Secret to be a Saturday sales meeting for his insurance agency so they could play it since he wasn't going to be there. Okay. And it went on to become the largest selling non-entertainment record of all time at the time. I don't know if that's still wow. true. Before, wow. before, before the internet, before it was in bookstores, anything sold 2 million copies of the record. Wow. And for you younger viewers, a record is a round thing it has a hole in the middle. <laughs> and if I gave you one, you probably wouldn't be able to play it. <laughs> so you and Zig Ziglar both responded 
to the same classified ad and ended up working at that company together? Yep. September, and along with Jimmy Rucker, my, my high school running buddy and the greatest salesman I ever personally worked with, he was far better than Zig and me combined. But he was the reason most people haven't heard of him was he didn't get up on stage and train. Uh, he was a horrible trainer, great salesperson, horrible trainer. And you say, well, Jimmy, tell him what, what you do. And he said, well, just tell him to watch me and do what I do. Well, that's like Picasso telling you to watch him paint and then just go do it. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, September 15th, Wednesday, September 15th, 1965, little lad, I was decided I had to make more money. My first wife, who's now passed away, uh, I was putting her through nursing school, making $100 a week. And before you start crying, that's 1000 a week now. Uh, but it's still, when you're putting a wife through nursing school, not a lot of money. And uh so I decided I'd look for something better. I went, I bought the Atlanta Journal-Constitution outside of a colonial grocery store. Uh, went Wednesday, September 15th, went through all the one ads and I couldn't even spell psychologist. But when I got to the P's and hadn't found anything I could do, I figured I was in trouble. I was desperately running out of, <laughs> the alphabet gets thin from P on uh, in the one ads. Uh, couldn't type. Boys weren't allowed to go into take typing in high school in those days. That was a girl's thing because they were all going to be secretaries and homemakers. And I guess I was going to dig a ditch or something. I, I don't know. But uh, it, the, the ad said, I still remember it. If you know anything about marketing plans and want to make more money, call this number. I didn't know what a marketing plan was, but I qualified in the second category. So I went in a phone booth. Again, young people, that was an aluminum, not the little thing on the wall. People were always showing a phone booth with a door. And when you phone somebody from within it, it sounded like you were calling from inside a garbage can. So I went in the phone booth. Uh, Doug is nodding his head. He's old enough to have been in the phone booth. <laughs> uh, I went in there and uh, dialed the number and began interviewing Bill Dempsey, the guy who had run the ad and turned out to be my sponsor and Zig sponsor. And uh, because I was Ben Gay with Brown Gay Food Brokerage Company, skipping over the fact that was my father, not me, uh, I began to interview Dempsey to see if he was worthy of me coming out of the phone booth and and talking to him about a job or whatever it was, whatever a marketing plan was. So about five minutes deep into my interview, he said, Mr. Gay, I am not the man standing in a phone booth answering want ads. Where are you? And I told him, he said, good. You're about two blocks from my office. 1447 West Peachtree Suite, Suite 300. As you can see, Eric, this day had an impact on me. Yeah. And uh, he said, be standing in front of my desk in 10 minutes or never dial this number again and slam down the phone. Rucker pulled around right about that time to pick me up. So we'd go to the next grocery store. My dad was a food broker. And I jumped in the car. I said, quick, 1447 West Peachtree Street. He said, what are we doing? I said, we're going to be rich. I said, Rucker, I just talked to a guy who spent money to run an ad. That was amazing to me. Uh, and uh, and then he hung up on me. He's got to be doing well. So we went down, skidded up in front of the receptionist's desk with a minute or two to spare. Looking back, I don't think anybody was looking at their watch, but I thought they were. I said, hi, my name is Ben Gay. 
reception said, yes, uh, we, we have you down for an appointment, have a seat. And from behind me, this Southern drawl said, Ben Gay. And I turned around, I was used to Ben Gay jokes by that time. Uh, I turned around and I said, yeah, my name is Ben Gay. What's yours? And he said, Zig Ziglar. And I said, with a name like Zig Ziglar, you're laughing at Ben Gay? You got to be kidding me. And we struck up a friendship that day that lasted to the day he died. Wow. That is, that is an amazing story. And the people you're talking about are, you know, people that we've read their books or we've listened to their audios, Earl Nightingale, and, and you were right there with them as they rose up to fame. And let's, let's fast forward now to how you ended up meeting Napoleon Hill. He was in the last couple of years of his life and, and you ended up developing a relationship where he mentored you. So how did that come about? Well, I was sitting in my office as president of Holiday Magic Cosmetics, suffering from what they now call imposter syndrome. You know, I, I would look around, I was running an, a, a, rather quickly. It, it evolved, so it didn't all happen at once. But rather quickly, we had five subsidiary companies that each used the same marketing plan, but sold different products. Bob Cummings Vitamins, Holiday Magic Cosmetics, Stay Power Motor Oil Additives, Ameriprise, Home Care, Cleaning Products, and something else. <laughs> I was president and I forgot the other company. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> we started the modern home uh, personal development business when uh, I started Leadership Dynamics, one of the encounter groups where Est and Forum and LifeSpring all started. All those people were with us before they spun off. And a thing called Mind Dynamics, going down to your levels. That's where we put all the strange people that couldn't sell in one of the other companies. We sent them over to commune, commute with each other uh, telepathically. And uh, it made a lot of money, but I always thought it was sort of amusing. Uh, so I'm sitting there as president of all that stuff uh, at 25 now with a high school education. I couldn't balance my own checkbook. And the company rather quickly was doing a million dollars worldwide. We were doing a million dollars a day, which is three and a half billion in today's money. Wow. And, and so I, and I'm literally it didn't have a name but i it was imposter syndrome i'm looking around thinking whoa it's just a matter of time till somebody figures out i have no qualifications to be sitting here other than i was becoming a good speaker and i was a good writer and uh so i could and, and everybody else i said you know i i do my thing you do yours like to the executive vice president of finance, you do your thing, which meant add up the money and, and pay who you're supposed to pay and give me that funny looking statement once a month. Um, and I'll ask some questions. What I cared about with the P&L statement was I always flip to the back. And if the lowest number at the bottom of the last page on the right was not in brackets, we were making money in that company. So I, I feared brackets, but other than that, uh, I was winging it. So I'm sitting there minding my own business. And I hear that was the courtesy knock William Penn Patrick always gave before he opened the door. He didn't wait to be told to come in, but it was bam, bam, I'm coming. So the door opens and there stands Bill. And this 
I always say little old man because that's the way he struck me at the time. He really I mean, wasn't a crippled up little guy, but when you're 25 and he's 84, I think, uh, there's quite a spread between us. Biologically, he was old enough to be my great-grandfather. I remember figuring that out. And uh, so Bill said, Ben, I want, you, I want you to meet Dr. Napoleon Hill. Well, I read his book and heard of him, but it wasn't the center of my life. But to be polite, I got up and ran around and said, hi, uh, my name is Ben Gay, and it's a pleasure to meet you, Dr. Hill. He said, call me Nappy. And I said, uh, I can't do that, Dr. Hill. You're my senior. You're a doctor of whatever. And uh, I, I'm from the South. You'll always be Dr. Hill to me, but it's a pleasure to meet you. He said, I'll break you down, son. You're going to call me nappy. I never did. I never even said the word <laughs> until he was dead. I just found that so disrespectful. Like Buckminster Fuller said, call me Bucky. I said, I know a lot of people do, but I'm not going to be one of them. Yeah. So I just, I wasn't raised that way. So it turned out Dr. Hill was in the building because he'd written a book. And in the front of the book, he dedicated it to the five greatest living Americans. And William Penn Patrick somehow was one of them. Yeah. There's, there's a backstory there, but for now, let's just leave it there. Bill was one of the five greatest living Americans in Dr. Hill's mind. So he was there to present Bill with a signed copy and the plaque and so on. And on the way, it was a long building. Bill was in the very back. I was in the front. On the way down the hallway to escort Dr. Hill out, Bill said, I heard later from Dr. Hill and Bill spontaneously said, I want you to meet somebody. I've got a young man running this company. I bet you could do him some good because I'm sure Bill was 12 years older. I'm sure there are times when he feels he's in over his head or scared or what have you, but he's afraid to walk down the hall and tell me that for fear he'll be fired, which was very astute on Bill's part. Mm -hmm. I didn't even think I was going to have to walk down the hall. I thought he'd come back <laughs> the other way and say, hi, I've just been thinking about you. Get your stuff and get out of here. Uh, so uh, he said, I'd like you to meet him. And they worked out a deal in the length of a walk down a hallway. He said, I'll give you $50,000 a year. That's about a half a million now. I'll give you $50,000 a year to be his. And I don't know the term he used, mentor, coach, whatever, uh, just to be available to him. And whatever he tells you, you're not to tell me. And he later told me that same thing. Mm -hmm. But I want him to have a place to go. Uh, what he was hiring was another father for me. And uh, because I wouldn't even tell my own father, I was in over my head. I'm sure he knew, <laughs> but he was too polite to say anything. And uh, so by the time they hit the door, he was my paid, we call it mentor now. And uh, he said, he's available to you by phone, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Anytime you want to meet with him, send him a plane ticket or send the Learjet back for him. Uh, Dr. Hill loved the Learjet. He came out sometimes to see us when I'm thinking, I wonder why he's here. Because I just talked to him yesterday morning. He loved the Learjet. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, the chauffeur car that would pick him up and bring him in. He liked the pomp and the circumstance. So uh, that's how we started. And it was somewhat 
tentative at first. I, I didn't trust him. I thought he was a spy from Bill Patrick. Uh, he probably wondered, except for the money, what he was doing with me. I've always told, whenever I tell the story, I mentioned that Rodney Dangerfield, the old comedian, used to say that his family tied a pork chop around his neck so the family dog would play with him. Well, Bill Patrick tied a $50,000 check around my neck so Dr. Hill would speak to me. But show, slowly but surely, it slowly is a relative term, within a week, we were the best of buddies. He was staying up at the house. We had the Dr. Hill bedroom that only he stayed in. I was thinking about it because I knew we'd be talking today. I was thinking about this morning uh, in the shower, hearing Dr. Hill down in his bedroom tapping on a typewriter. We got him some model he liked, and he would type till 10, 11 o'clock at night. And then uh, if I was in my personal home office, uh, rather early in the morning, I'd hear that typing again. He wasn't a great typist, but I'd hear click, click, click. And he was, I guess, writing his next book. Uh, it, in my office, he did it on legal pads. But uh, he became a big part of my life. And, and we taught him some things. He, Dr. Hill did not have a happy home life. Uh, a couple, three divorces and annulment, problems with the kids. I think there were more than one. Uh, and he used to marvel sitting in our home with my wife at the time and our son at the time, only one back then, uh, and say, I, I really love this. He'd say, Ben, I would give anything in the world to have your home life. Mm. Uh, so he was a, a business guru, but not everything was perfect with him. He was just a a nice gentleman with a great, I was thinking this morning about branding yourself, the image that you can develop, all of you listen to this, brand yourself, because you get a lot wiser if you're known as a wise man. That helps. Right. Uh, I could tell you things behind the scenes with Dr. Hill that I won't tell you, nothing horrible, but just things that maybe make him a little too uh, uh, common. And the reason I won't do it is if you built your life around thinking grow rich, knowing I'd be on here, I have my day-to-day -day copy and I have my 75-year-old signed copy signed by Dr. Napoleon Hill. Uh, if you've built your life around the teachings of Dr. Hill, you don't need to hear, you know, this little frailty or that little frailty. Bill Patrick told me one time a leader should be in front, but not so far in front that your people can't see you anymore and not so close that they can smell you. Speaking of that, I walked into Bill's bedroom one day. We had a two or three bedroom suite somewhere because he wanted to be awakened at two to go to some meeting or something. So I walked in at two o'clock, knocked on the door. He didn't answer. I figured he was in the shower. So I opened the door. And right on the end of an end table by the door I came through was a book of some sort. And on top of it, a tube of Preparation H. And I'm telling you, I know this sounds stupid. I looked down at the Preparation H and for a day or two, Bill dropped about 15 degrees in my uh, idolization scale because God had hemorrhoids. I couldn't believe it. Uh, and I really didn't want to know it. Telling this story, I sort of wished that, that hadn't happened. 
So I don't do anything with Dr. about Dr. Hill that might take away uh, things. And back then I was in the midst of it. I was by accident, I was in the the very center of a wild hurricane. If you were anybody in selling or speaking, you wanted to be in holiday magic or working for us because uh, we were the largest MLM direct sales company on the planet. And uh, so people say, how did you meet fill in the blank? Og Mandino, I said, probably went to the bathroom, bumped into him in the hall. I mean, they were everywhere. These names you all know. We're wandering around the building trying to get hired for the next thing or be part of the next company or whatever. It was a magical time. And I earned it in that I won a sales contest, but I didn't really earn all that came with it. A lot of that just got dumped on me. And uh, it, was, it was hard to maintain my dignity when I didn't have any, <laughs> couldn't read a P&L. Uh, but, but I got through it somehow. A little story about how I broke through it. And this is about the right before I met Dr. Hill. We were out there. I was still based in Atlanta. I hadn't been made president yet. We were out there for some sort of training for 30 days or something. And one morning, uh, we got up and, and showed that we could do our uh, opportunity meeting script or ad lib or something. I don't know. But they had a Betamax recorder. It was a big cabinet, looked like one of those old television sets that everybody had. And in it was a built-in camera and a screen. And that was high tech in those days. I did my little thing. Everybody else did theirs. Zig did his and so on. I went into the back of the building, which was still under construction, and to get my manual to start working on whatever the next project was. And I didn't have my manual. I'd forgotten it. It was in the training room. So I went back up and I came in a, a back door and their backs to me were William Penn Patrick and the president of the company at the time who later tried to kill me, uh, Fred Pape. And they were looking at the monitor and I could hear my voice. And Fred Pape said, he's good. And Bill Patrick said, I will pay more for the ability to effectively communicate than any other skill. And I moonwalked out of the office. They never knew I was there and changed my shift, uh, shifted <laughs> what I was going to be. I decided right then to become an effective communicator. I was already pretty good, but I mean, to really be good, to get 15,000 people to stand and cheer on cue, <laughs> you know, know when they're going to stand. That's sort of an interesting concept. And it was all based on I forgot my manual. Mm. So, uh, so Dr. Hill and I uh, just started hanging out together. Uh, Mark Harris, a friend of mine who's read Dr. Hill's stuff hundreds of times, I started to say thousands, that might be true, but it would sound like an exaggeration. He knows Think and Grow Rich and the Law of Success backwards and forwards. I told him one time, if you were sitting at the one end of my conference table and Dr. Hill was the other and you had a trivia contest on what Dr. Hill had written, Mark, you would win. Uh, and so he asked me, now, did he give you assignments or anything? I said, no, he was an older guy who hung out in my office and at the house. And we talked about stuff. He was a horrible pool player, by the way. So it was Earl Nightingale, two of the worst ever. Uh, but uh, we had a good time chatting. A little background. 
Dr. Uh, Earl Nightingale didn't care for uh, Dr. Hill. Mm. Uh, he even talked, I wouldn't mention that except since the recording, he talked about how he came across the strangest secret. You become what you think about. Yeah. He said, I'm paraphrasing. He said, I was sitting in my study once uh, uh, Saturday morning reading a book like it had to be explained called Think and Grow Rich by Dr. Napoleon Hill. It was poorly written and simplified and this and that. But in the middle of, in the middle of reading the book, there it was. You become what you think about. And you do in that deep rumbling voice. And then he went on. And I asked him about it one time when they were both in town. I said, you mentioned that you weren't real fond of the book. He said, I just thought Dr. Hill was overrated and this and so on. Dr. Hill never said anything bad about Earl. Mm. So that, that was my little secret till they had each gone to their just rewards. Well, before, <clears throat> before we wrap up, Ben, I wanted to just briefly share um, how you and I met and have you um, talk about uh, the closers, because I think that's a wonderful story that's worth sharing. And back in the day, this the was- The closers? <laughs> I yep. happen to have one here. <laughs> that one right there. <laughs> back in the day, I was a sales rep for Tony Robbins. And I was, my job was to go in and do little mini motivational speeches in companies to drum up business for Tony's seminars. And I was speaking at a prepaid legal meeting, which is now Legal Shield. I think that's their new name. Uh, prepaid legal network marketing company. And I don't know, 30, 40 people in the room. And I sold however many tickets I sold that night. And after the meeting, I was walking out to my car with a couple people in the in the, in the meeting. And somehow we started talking about books. And this woman said, um, you know, have you read the book, uh, the closers? And I said, no, I'm, I'm, I haven't read that one. And she goes, Oh my gosh, this is the best book ever written on sales. And she was so enthusiastic that it, it made a mark on me. Like when somebody's like that excited about a book, you know? And so I don't know how she had it been, but she had, the phone number to the publisher and she gave it to me. And I don't know if I wrote it down or she gave it on a business card or somehow it ended up in my, in my suit. I used to wear a suit back then and I put it in the suit pocket. And sometimes we just forget about stuff we put in our pocket. And so like six months had passed <laughs> and here's this phone number to the, the publisher. And uh, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's that book. She was so excited about and even though it was six months later, I'm like, I need to go and I got to get the book. So I called the number and you answered. And I didn't know it was you at the time because you didn't answer that. I don't remember how you answered, but I wasn't clear that it was you. Thank you for calling. How may I help you? <laughs> there you go. That was it. Scripted. And, then, and you went into your, your sales presentation and I was calling to buy a $20 book. And by the end of the call, you know the story. It's happened a zillion times. Out came my credit card, I think for $199 or whatever it was. And I bought the closures, part one, part two, the, the audio version, the whole, the newsletter, you know, cause it's what you do. And so it was $595. There you go. Whatever it was, and, <laughs> and you were, you were saying in the script, you know, and the reason I created this or the reason I wrote this or at, and I was like, is this Ben? 
And you go, yeah, this is Ben. And, and so I was just blown away that you were, I was talking to you. And so I, you know, purchased that day. And then however long later, I asked you for, for lunch and, and you agreed to meet with me. And, uh, you know, that was back in the mid nineties and, and, you know, we've done numerous seminars. We've, we've team taught together. I've spoke at your events. I've had you at my events and I'll never forget asking you to speak at one of my speaking events. And I, the way I framed it was, you know, would you be willing to do me a favor? And you said, you know, what is it? And I said, well, this is what it is. I want you to speak at this event. And you said something to the effect of the word favor is a really powerful word. And because you asked it like that, I will say yes. And, um, you know, I, I remember vividly that event that you came and spoke at. And, you know, you've always just been, um, you've been so generous to me. And as I, you know, introduced you today, you, you've been a, a father to me in different ways. And there's times that we won't go into today where I was at a low point in my life and you'd take my call and I couldn't afford your fees at that time. And you were still mentoring me. And I, I, I will be forever grateful. And, and, you know, I have a handful of people in my life that are mentors to me. And you're one of those, those small group of people that have taken an interest to help me in my life. So I'm, I'm Thank grateful you. for that. And I'd love to have you share before we wrap up our session, how you came to um, editing the book, The Closers, and then you wrote The Closers Part Two, and you know it's one of the most successful sales books ever written. And if you could just share that story. Yeah, I had created, invented the call center industry. Uh, speaker on the road, busy, busy, hard to get a hold of the office before cell phones and so on. I lived in phone booths. And uh, so I... Uh, everyone in the office was assigned a publication of some sort, several sometimes, and a pen knife that artists used to cut things out. And their job was to go through publications and find anybody selling anything that didn't have an 800 number. Because what I invented was the 800 call center industry. I time-shared very expensive 800 lines. Uh, today, that wouldn't be a big deal. But back then, you couldn't. You could, most people could not afford an 800 line or justify it. $10,000 a month in advance for 240 hours. Then you get a bill for a new 10,000 plus the overtime you used uh, the uh, month before. So I figured out a way to timeshare it. And I was also in the beginning of the timeshare industry. So it, I, it, it just went click, click. So now we're looking for companies that don't have an 800 number, which was just about all the companies on earth. So we were down to picking out things that could be sold over the phone. And uh, one day I had the Wall Street Journal. One day I clipped out several and sent it down to word processing. And this five letter series began. And just as I was getting ready to put away the Wall Street Journal for the day, I saw a little tiny ad, little one ads have played a big part in my life. Here, here's the second one ad story. And uh, it said something about closing. First of all, it didn't have an 800 number. Uh, but it said something about closing. And I remember thinking I, it was poorly written. But I thought, I think that's sales closing. So I took out my pen knife, cut it out, stuck it on a typing request form. And then I noticed that they were asking, I think it was 1495. I said, it must be a book. 
So I attached my personal check to it, 1495, sent it down to word processing. I wouldn't have given it another thought. I, you know, you've, I, 1495, I don't remember. Uh, so if the book had never shown up, we wouldn't be talking about it today. But it did, three, four weeks later, look like it had been mailed by a, 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 a kidnapper or a bomber crayon on the outside of the envelope and all. And today, I'm not sure I would open it in the office. I might take it out in the, in the street and open it. But <laughs> I opened it up, and there was this book called The Closers. Uh, poor cover, poorly designed. Uh, and then I did what you do with a book when you get it. I thumbed through the pages. Pages shot all over my office. It was barely bound. It's a wonder they didn't put a rubber band around it before they sent it to me. And of the few pages that were left in it, about half of them were up, bound in upside down. And I thought, well, I've logged, whatever I lost, uh, I've lost worse things. So I started scooping it up, picking it up. And I went to throw it in my trash can. And right next to my trash can was my Hartman briefcase, which is right next to my trash can now, 40 years later. <laughs> and uh, went to throw it in. And I'm cheap enough. Uh, to uh, think, well, uh, I'll look through it. And, and we didn't have movies on the plane round, and we didn't have the ability to do things on your phone on the planes. And I'd read all the airline magazines. So I threw it in my briefcase, said, next time I'm on a plane, I'll read through it or skim through it. It didn't look like it was in readable condition. And then I already had a plan. I'll leave it in the back seat pocket of the plane and let the cleanup crew worry about it. Four or five weeks later, I'm on the way to New York, um, found it in my briefcase, started through it. And it was like I'd found the Dead Sea Scrolls, poorly written, misspelled words. Uh, he only had a passing acquaintance with English. And, uh, but I was picking up the bing, 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 you know, these little jewels so as best I could, I finished the book or what parts of it I still had. By the time we got to LaGuardia, I got off the plane, walked right to a payphone, wasn't a booth, it was one of those on the wall, uh, picked up the phone, dropped in my quarters or whatever it was, and dialed the number in the book. It was in Arizona. This guy answers the phone and I, I said, hi. I need to talk to somebody. Uh, I just finished reading the closers. And he said, well, Mr. Gay, how are you? And I'm looking around. I thought maybe I was on candid camera or something. <laughs> I hadn't told him who I was. I'm calling from a payphone. We didn't have cell phones, caller ID in those days. And I said, I didn't tell you my name. And he said, well, we printed 500 copies of the closers. We ran one ad one day in the Wall Street Journal. And we sold one book. So if you've read The Closers, your name is Ben Gay and you live in Placerville, California. <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh, OK, uh, the book leaves a little something to be desired, but I'm sort of interested in talking to you about doing something with it. And he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, first, I'll buy some and give them to my reps and see if they share my enthusiasm. He said, great. I said, how many do you have? He said, like I said, we printed 500. We sold one. I don't have to go check. We have 499 <laughs> left. I said, all right, I'll take them. 
So I gave them to my in-house sales reps who were working with people around the country and, and uh, they started disappearing. I had a, that were sitting on the floor in my office, but they started disappearing. I said, what are you doing with the books? And they said, people love them. They laugh at them first and then they love them. So I called back, got the international rights to the book at first, just the marketing rights uh, and the right to rewrite it and reprint it and redesign it and so on. And we did. And they sold one copy of the book we quit counting 26 years ago. Uh, and at that point, we'd sold 10 and a half million copies of the book. Wow. Based, wow. And that's before Amazon and all the fancy stuff, just word of mouth and so on. Oh, and I did one thing. I was talking to somebody the other day about it. I'd forgotten this. I reversed shoplifted it into Walmart and the bookstores in airports. There, were, there are two or three that own all the bookstores. I took the book in, put it on the shelf, and left. That's reverse shoplifting. Under the weird theory, I wasn't sure it would work, but it did. Somebody would pick it up and buy it, go to the counter and pay for it. They wouldn't find it in their thing. And they, and this is some of this is reverse thinking because I figured a lot of it out later enter it in their system so they could ring up the one book. Now it's in their system. And what does the system say as soon as they sell the only book they have in the system? We're out. <laughs> so Walmart started ordering, for instance. Wow. And uh, so we did uh, reverse shoplifting. And uh, then Jeff uh, Bezos started Amazon, and that was certainly a help. And uh, off we went. And then we've written the closers part, wrote the closers part too which is a better book. I'm talking like Biden now, which is a better book. Uh, <laughs> but the closers part one is the kicks, the blocks of pun and, and punches of selling the way it really is under the surface, not the way we wish it was. Closers part two shows you what su successful, sophisticated people really do with that information. This is Zig Ziglar. This is Jimmy Rucker. This is Ben Gay at his best. But we all had to know the Closers Part 1 material first. You can't be a sophisticated person on some subject you don't know anything about. So that's how it started and how it continues. Closers 6, 7, 8 are being written as we speak. I think that's right. And what I'm doing is I'm getting people who are qualified in their subject area uh, to write about it. And uh, for instance, in the closers part five, this is more you want to know, Mark Tosani, I always try and put a C in it, wrote this and he's a big deal in real estate. So he wrote about things that I only know about generally. And we're, so the, someday I probably won't live to see it, but someday there'll be a closers 25 and it will have all started because I was clipping out one ads in the Wall Street Journal one day. Wow, Ben. It's so great to catch up with you and um, hear your stories about Napoleon Hill, Nappy, <laughs> and uh, Earl Nightingale, and William Penn Patrick, and Zig, and, and uh, the Closers book series. And um, I, I mostly just appreciate your friendship and it's just been great to same here spend, you know, 
25 years or so and just doing things back and forth and catching up and having meals together and team teaching and all that good stuff. And thank you for saying yes to my request for help, especially when I was at a really low point in my life. And, um, and you, I, I needed, I needed guidance. You know, my business was on life support and, and um, I remember kind of crying to you about what, these people had done in my business and they, you know, started their own company on some of my ideas. And you're like, that's the oldest story in business. <laughs> that's what they're supposed to do. <laughs> and that was just like, I needed that. I needed that just kind of straight talk. And, and, you know, you're just like in your own way, you're just like snap out of it, Eric, and just, just get out there and do what you do. And, and, um, you know, it really, I really appreciate your your care for me and just how you've been with me through the years and um, supporting me in, in calls like this because I wanted to share you with my audience today. And um, so thank you for that. And uh, thank you for, for being on the show today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, now, folks, you know why I call him Grasshopper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he's probably among my most successful grasshoppers ever. And that's what you know, we were talking about earlier about, you know, what's your hobby? This is my hobby, working with nice people like you and watching you take off. And so many of them have done it. I keep reaching over to the magic bookcase, but uh, this is uh, Lamont Bowens, our adopted son. When I met him, he was a 19-year-old drug dealer, came to my speaking class in federal prison, and uh, one of you come in, and uh, one thing led to another, and I took him under my wing, really liked him, and then uh, he got out, and he called me and asked, uh, he said, I have a favor to ask. I said, what's that? He said, I want to go to college. Well, I helped get him his GED in prison, but... Uh, he said, I want to go to college. And I said, uh, okay. And I'm thinking, GJ uh, may not like this, uh, <laughs> how this conversation is going to go. He said, I don't need any money. I need a guarantee, student loan guarantee. I said, you got it. He said, I promise you, you'll never have to pay a dime. A few years go by, he graduates, calls back. Uh, and I think by then he was calling me dad because we had sort of unofficially adopted him. He said, Dad, I got a uh, another favor to ask. I said, how much is this one going to cost me? <laughs> First one didn't cost anything, but it was fun to kid with him. He said, well, I'm going to law school. And I said, and? He said, I just need you to guarantee the loan. Signed off on it. And then a few years go by. And keep in mind, 19-year-old drug dealer without a high school education. Uh he said, uh, called, he says, dad, I need a favor. I said, geez, what's left? You know, <laughs> what else do you want? He said, this is just a letter of recommendation. I'm up for a federal judgeship. Wow. In youth court, and I, which I always get a great kick out of it. Can you imagine going before a judge in his black robes and you're a kid and you're laying your story, your tale of woe on him, not knowing he was a high school dropout drug dealer who was in a gunfight with his stepfather 
uh, whose goal, whose heroes in life wore white mink coats with long uh, hoods on their fake Lincoln Continentals and so on. That was where he was headed. And then you're going, Your Honor, you don't understand. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I can picture Lamont dropping out of sight behind the bench, shrieking <laughs> <laughs> with laughter. So anyway, that's my hobby. People like you and Lamont are my hobbies. That's what I love doing. And I finally figured out a way to get paid for doing it. So it all works out. By the way, speaking of paid, if anyone does not have the closures, hard to believe. Right there, I'm holding up high so you don't see the website. Don't want you going there. Pay less for store at stores.ebay.com forward slash Ronzoni, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E books. And uh, they sell the closers at preferred pricing, special pricing, and free shipping, which is made possible by the owner of Ronzoni books, my wife, whose maiden name was Ronzoni. Uh, she has a low product cost. She goes in my warehouse and steals her books. And then she puts them in our shipping channel. So she doesn't have to pay shipping. Therefore, she's able to sell with special pricing <laughs> and free shipping. So if you don't mind buying from an embezzler, uh, that would be a good place to, and I sleep with her. So she's all right, you know. <laughs> well, Ben, thank you for taking time today to really just, we had a real nice long chat here and shared some amazing stories you shared with us. So thank you for that. And I will look forward to the next time we connect. Bye. Bye-bye, Ben. Thank you all for joining us today. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.